Man, it is so good to be with you guys tonight. One more time. How many guys love Jesus tonight? Amen. And so <clears throat> we're going to jump into uh, our teaching tonight. And uh, I want to invite you to take out your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, take out your phones. I hope you have your Bibles. But if you don't, take out your phones. Um, and I want you to go ahead and jump into uh, the book of Exodus with us. And that's where we're going to do some teaching tonight. I'm so impressed. And as I look around this room, my heart is overwhelmed just with joy. Um, you know, first Wednesdays, we had stopped doing those for a little while. And, you know, one of the things we promised you is we're going to go deep in the word and deep in worship and experience God in a powerful way. And apparently you are the ones that are hungry and excited for that. And so uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited that you guys are here. Some of y'all are like, I didn't know I was signing up for that. I don't, where's my pamphlet? I don't know. I didn't, so, uh, <coughs> so. Um, tonight is not brought to you by Bang Energy Drinks. I just got this cough, and I can't get it to go away. So, uh, yeah, all right. So I want to talk to you guys tonight about something I believe that if we could cling to this, it will transform our lives in such a way that it won't just shape how we see God. It will shape how we know that God sees us. And so I hope you're going to take some notes tonight. I encourage you to do that. I hope I know uh, my young adults crew and my pipeline crew. Some of y'all, y'all, y'all are good at bringing note-taking stuff. But if you didn't, I want to break out your phones. Do whatever you got to do, because um, I believe if we'll grab a hold of these truths tonight, again, it won't just change how we see God. It will, in fact, change how we know that God sees us. All right. And so let's go there, because uh, how many guys know we're all dealing with some stuff? Where my where my people that are dealing with stuff at? All right, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, the rest, the rest of you, you're still dealing with lying, and we're going to pray for you tonight, okay, in Jesus' name. No, we're, we're all dealing with stuff, uh, but I want you to understand that true freedom to live the life that God has for us is found in the freedom that Christ has made available. Say, Jesus, he's made available, but hear me, the freedom is going to take a choice on your part to experience continually. See, a lot of times, because salvation was offered freely, we think that freedom is something we should just live in all the time. Because because Jesus made a way, and it didn't cost us anything except for to lay down our life, repent and believe, right? Like, we're not going to go into that tonight, but because that's the case for us for our salvation, we don't realize that on earth, if we're going to live in true freedom, it's actually going to cost us something. Y'all going to have to help me tonight, okay? So, CC, don't get quiet. I know it's late. Y'all didn't get your energy drinks or your coffee, okay? So, but I, I want you to help us tonight because I believe we're going to go somewhere. Hear me, but I want, you, I want to make sure you get it. You don't work to be saved. That's a gift from God. But you will have to work to be free. Until we experience the eternity with heaven, there's going to be some work that happens on this earth. How many of y'all have already experienced it takes work to go day to day right now. I got joy in Jesus, right? I'm sanctified, saved. Well, I don't remember the order. I mean, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm, I'm all that. But freedom's going to take some work on our part. Turn to your neighbor and say work. Say work. Work, work. Okay, so I'm just kidding. All right. So, but my goal tonight is to prayerfully help you see a few missing elements in your faith journey. I want to give them to you straight out of the gate. Repentance, replacement, and repetition. Repentance, replacement, and repetition. 
One more time for those of you that were catching on late in the game. Repentance, replacement, and repetition. All right? So in the story of Exodus, uh, if you want to go, well, no. In the story of Exodus, out of uh, Egypt, right, so the nation of Israel, to catch some of you up that may not know what's going on in the part of the Bible where we're going to pick up, the nation of Israel has been set free. Okay, and so they are now uh, following Moses in the desert, not knowing where they're going. They just know there's a promise available to them. All right. And so uh, the people of Israel, they've been in the desert for about three months where we're picking up. Okay, so three months wandering in the desert, stanky, full of some around some people that they don't necessarily love all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Sounds like all y'all at work. Okay, so like just, you just I, don't, I don't love that person or that person or that person. Okay, so. But they're in the desert, three months in, and this is where we pick up. I want you to go to chapter 24 with me, and we are going to jump around tonight, so uh, try to keep up. But Moses gets called up to Mount Sinai. That's what we're going to pick up. Chapter 24, Moses gets called to Mount Sinai, and this is what's going to happen here. Uh, Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. Now, Moses, in chapters 25 through 31, I'm going to give you guys a big overview tonight, okay? So, like, hang with me, and then we'll get to the good, okay? But I I, got to build an understanding of what's happening in this story before I can get you to the, like, okay, what does this have to do with me part, okay? Exodus 25, chapters 25 through 31, God is giving direction to Moses for how he is to be worshipped, okay? So he goes up in chapter 24. While he's up there, chapters 25 through 31, God gives him direction on how he's to be worshipped, okay? So he's up there. He talks about how he's to be worshipped. The dwelling place, how it's going to look, the tabernacle, he goes into all that conversation. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. doesn't have to do with what we're talking about tonight, okay? But read it one day, but not tonight. Okay, so while this is happening, the people grow tired of waiting on Moses. So he's up there for 40 days, and while he's up there, they get tired of waiting on Moses and go to Exodus 32 because that's where we're going to pick up and we're going to do a first set of heavy lifting, okay? Exodus 32. And this is what happens. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, say delayed. How many of you have ever felt like in your life you were looking for God to do something, but he wasn't coming through on your time? Seven of us. The rest of y'all just smooth sailing, huh? I said, how many of you have ever looked for God to do something, and in the time frame you wanted it, needed it, expected it, God didn't come through in that? All right? I'm on day like 19, can't taste my food because of COVID, all right? So, like, I'm really interceding in a deep way right now. Like, I ate today, and I tasted half of it, and I was saying, Lord, in Jesus' name. Okay, so don't make me wait 40 days. Um, The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for, this, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears for your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a grading tool or a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And he said, these are your gods now. 
O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom brought you out of the land of Egypt, for they have corrupted themselves. Say corrupted. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, and they have worshipped it. They made sacrifices to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said, Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Some of y'all got relatives like that. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. You see, we constantly want something that will give us earthly, fleshly, sinful satisfaction that we don't allow God to meet in our hearts. Uh, To help you with that, we are constantly searching for something that will fill the void in our life that we don't allow God to fill in our life. We're constantly looking for that career, that degree, that person, that relationship, that marriage. We are putting expectations on the things of this world that don't have the power or the fulfillment to fit the hole in our chest because it is shaped specifically for God himself. Yet we keep looking over and over again in the same places and holding the same people responsible to fill voids they don't have the power to fill in our lives. And then we wonder why we live a life of disappointment. When we read this, it's so easy for us to be like, yo, these Israelites are some knuckleheads. Right? Like, how many of y'all read that? Don't lie. How many of y'all were like, man, these clowns need to get it together? Not me on day 40. Right? You're right. Not you on day 40. It would have been you on day 10. Okay? But here's the problem. It's the same way we read the book of Genesis when Adam was in the garden and Eve messed up and, like, and then Adam messed up and then everybody messed up and now we're all in this together, right? When we read that, we're like, boy, I got some words for Adam and Eve when we get there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like we just, we're going to have a powwow out in, you know, in the alley behind Justin's house on Streets of Gold. Okay, like we're going we're, we're to have some talking to do. And every time I hear that from somebody, I laugh. Because I'm like, you know you had the opportunity to live that way too, right? Like we were born into sin, but how many of you made how many people know that no one made you do that? Like nobody was like, hey, you better act up. How how many of you remember at least one of the first things you ever stole before? It was probably like a pack of gum or a Snickers bar. Or both. A no Snickers like like, how many know no one had to teach you how to take that? You wanted it. You took it. It's yours. How many of you know you get around a two-year-old, and they're playing with another two-year-old, and they, that's their block. But that other two-year-old reaches for it. What do they say? Mine. Why? Because sinfulness and selfishness is woven into the fabric of our being. So I want to encourage you tonight not to think too highly of yourself that you wouldn't go to the place that they went to. Because inside of every single one of us is the ability to forget what God has done in the past because he's not doing what we want him to do in the present. Okay, good. We're all on the same page tonight. I just want to make sure. 
So I want to recap for a second, just for a second, maybe, maybe a few seconds. I'm not going to lie to you. I want you to take out your handout for a second. Hopefully all of you got one of these on the way in the door. We're going to take a quick stroll through Exodus 1 through 32 because I want to help you understand something. Now, this ain't all of the story of the Israelites. This is just 1 through 32, all right? Exodus 1. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly, okay? Pipeline students, y'all know what that means. The rest of y'all, you're going to find out what it means. Okay, so Exodus 1. Israelites are oppressed and made slaves to the Egyptians, right? So Pharaoh puts out an order to kill Hebrew boys. So he puts out an order to kill all the Hebrew boys because the, they are multiplying in such a way that if they're not careful, they'll be able to overthrow the Egyptians. And so he says, we've got to stop this now. Kill all the Hebrew boys. Therefore, they can't multiply. Therefore, since they can't multiply, they can't outnumber us and we can maintain control. Okay, so Exodus 1. That's all what's happening. Exodus 2, Moses was born, and out of fear for his life, his mother tried to hide him for as long as she could, but then sent him down the river at one point and said, God, you're just going to have to do whatever you do. So she sends him down the river. Now, in Exodus 2, Moses is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, okay? So Pharaoh puts out the kill order. He's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up educated as an Egyptian, Though he was a Hebrew boy. So then uh, an adoption takes place. But I want to help you understand something that uh, I didn't put it on here. But what's powerful about this is Moses goes to, is seen floating down the river by Pharaoh's daughter. She takes him. Well, guess who follows Moses down the river? His sister. And so when Pharaoh's daughter sees her, she says, hey, do you, I, I, I'm taking this baby. Do you know someone that could feed him? And Moses' sister says, actually, I do. And so she takes Moses back to her and his mother so that the mother gets paid to take care of the son she just saved by sending him down the river. Ain't God good. And so she gets paid for it, and she gets to help raise him through the first number of years of his life. But then at some point, Pharaoh's daughter then takes him and raises him in the way of the Egyptians so now he's trained and educated in the way of the Egyptians, even though his people are slaves. Okay, so just I wanted to catch you up on that. Then he kills an Egyptian. So one day, years and years and years and years go by, he kills an Egyptian uh, because he sees the Egyptian abusing one of his, his people. Okay, and so he flees to Midian uh, to run from getting caught. And then finds a wife and settles into his life there. All that happens in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 3, God shows up in a burning bush. Some of you have heard that story. So the, bur the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. He sends Moses back to free the Egyptians. And Moses said, I, 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 I don't think I can do that. Okay, so I got a stuttering problem. And God says, you seem to be arguing just fine. All right, so which is what we do with the call of God on our life, right? Like, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. And it's like, you're arguing pretty good for me. Okay, so, so then he continues on. Then, uh, in Exodus 4, God proves himself to Moses by turning his staff into a snake. God gives Moses assurance that he will be with him in the journey. Moses shows up to Pharaoh, declares that God says, let my people go. Okay, so the initial, all that happens in Exodus 4. Exodus 5, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh again and declare to let the people go. Pharaoh says no, and in fact, he doesn't just say no, he increases the workload on the Israelites. He says, not only are we going to make you keep building the same number of bricks, we're going to make you go get your own straw and still have to build the same number of bricks. So he increases their workload. Then Exodus 7 through 11, Moses and Aaron presents the signs of God and Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers do the same. So to catch you up, in case you don't know, Moses and Aaron, they throw their staff on the ground, it turns into a snake. Everybody's like, ah! Oh! 
And then Pharaoh's people come in and they do the same thing. So now it's not as impressive. And God says, oh, okay, I got you then. 7 through 11. Then the plague of blood, where the rivers turned to blood, a plague of frogs, which some of you just shivered right then, a plague of gnats, a plague of flies, a plague of livestock, where all the livestock starts dying, a plague of boils hits all of the people, and boils cover their body, plagues of hail, where it falls from the sky, plagues of locusts, where everything is covered, a plague of darkness, where they can't see anything, and then last but not least, the plague of the firstborn, where every firstborn in every house that doesn't have the blood over the doorframe dies. And Pharaoh's like, I've had enough. Exodus 13. They don't have a map, so God provides a cloud by day and a fire by night. So to catch you up, uh, he releases them, uh, and Pharaoh says, fine, get them out of here. So he releases them, and God says, okay, I'm going to make you a promise that you don't know where you're going. I'm going to lead you with a cloud by day and the fire by night. All right? That way you'll always know where you're going since you don't have a map. All right? We hadn't built maps about this. There's no GPS, and your iPhone didn't work back then. All right? So then in Exodus 14, God leads them to the Red Sea. Perfect. You got us out of here. But now Pharaoh's chasing us. What happens? He leads them to the place where in front of them is a Red Sea, and behind them is an enemy. So either way, they're going to die. What do we do? Let's go back. He opens the Red Sea, parts it. They walk across on dry land. Now, I've seen a lot of oceans in my life, but I hadn't seen any of them separate for me to walk across. He parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. When they get to the other side, not only did he do, he allows Pharaoh's armies to come chasing after them. And once they get to where the water was, he closes it back up, and they all drown and die. Like, supernatural, like God at work, okay? So, to keep going. Exodus 16 through 17. The Israelites are in the desert. But they're in the desert with nothing to eat, and they don't know what, what they're going to do. What do we do now? Well, God's not short on miracles, so what does he do? God rains down manna and quail for them to eat in the desert. Then they were thirsty. Well, I know he provided this, but I don't know if he's going to provide that. What does he do? He gives them water out of a rock. Then they keep going, and the Amalekites come against them. One of their enemies attacks them, and they defeat them with God's help. And this is where Moses' arms were held up. And as long as they were held up, they were winning. But whenever they came down, they were losing. And so uh, his people held the arms up, and then they won. And Okay, so all that happens in 1617. Exodus 18, where the Jethro principle is introduced uh, from a leadership perspective. If you know anything about our dream team, uh, we have our staff, and our staff leads our coaches, and our coaches lead our team needs, and our team leads lead our service needs, and our service leads are the dream team, and our dream team leads the congregation. And all of that comes straight out of Exodus chapter 18. Okay, so yeah, I'm not a genius. It's in my Bible. Okay, so... Um, which uh, Jethro comes to Moses and says, you can't do this on your own. You need to lead people and then let those people lead some people and let those people lead some people and let those people lead some people and then everybody won't be gassed out all the time and you can actually survive this calling that I have on your life. And if you look at our leadership structure, it's where it came from. All right, so I wish I was smarter than I am. I just read the Bible. Okay, so think of what it could do for you, okay? All right, so Exodus 19, God identifies his provision at Mount Sinai. Uh, Exodus 20 through 24, God provides the old covenant law. God promises victory against all of their enemies. Uh, and then Exodus 25 through 32, God gives them instruction on worship and the tabernacle. Okay, I caught us up. Are there any questions? Don't raise your hand. I'm not answering any. Okay, so, so to bring you guys up to speed, I want you to think for a second. Can you believe... That God himself did all of this for his people. He goes out of his way. I mean, he parted the Red Sea. Man and quail from heaven. Water from a rock. I mean, he did the work. I, it, 
just the miracles of Moses alone, being freed from the Egyptians, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and we're only through chapter 32. And 40 days of them not knowing where Moses was caused them to create a new God because they didn't know if the old one was still working. I want you to look in your own life for a second. What was the moment? What was the altercation? What was the situation? What was the pain? What was the struggle that caused you to go, I don't know if this God is the one I'm going to serve? Because whatever that was, the thing that you chose that over is the thing you worship more than God. That is your golden calf. The thing you want more than you want God is the thing that you worship. And tonight, my hope and my desire is not to make you feel terrible when you leave here. But I do believe that my hope and my desire, I know my hope and desire, is to cause you to look at God with awe and wonder tonight. That you would realize that there are areas of your life that you love more than you love God himself. There's areas of my life that every single day I have to lay down and say, God, not my will but yours be done. And so tonight, we're going to keep going. I believe that we're going to get there because we're guilty of the same thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm guilty. Only that was only half of y'all. The rest of y'all, let's pick up. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm guilty. Okay, just so we're clear. I wasn't even looking, but I could hear it. I was like, eh, that wasn't everybody. Bottom line, we are being called to repentance over every aspect of our lives that we've said, God, you're taking too long on this. Over every aspect of our lives that we said, God, I'd rather worship this than you. And repenting of every aspect of our lives that says, God, you're not satisfying enough for me because I still want that too. John Piper says it like this. We are most satisfied in God God, God is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, God's greatest delight is that in our hearts, he would be our greatest delight. And so God drives us to this place. And so when God is no longer enough to us, we replace him with something that will always leave us feeling inadequate and shameful. I want you to think for just a second the seasons of your life where God wasn't enough and how you always felt like you weren't enough because you let something else take the place of God in your life. When we stop looking to God to be everything, we start feeling terrible about who we are. Think about it for a second. When sin enters your life, so does shame. And shame is what keeps you from God, not the sin. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, God said, yeah, I already took care of that. Hey, that's not a big deal. I mean, it was, but Jesus paid for that, so now we're here. It's our shame that separates us from God, not the sin. It's how the enemy uses our sin to convince us we don't belong next to God anymore. And so we have to come to the place where we see that repentance is a necessary part of the believer's life. Repentance is a necessary part 
of the believer's life. So in case we don't know what that means, let me give it to you real quick. So repentance is I'm going this way, and now I'm going to go this way. So I want to be clear on what repentance is not. Repentance is not an apology. God, I'm sorry. How many of you have ever had someone apologize to you for doing something but kept on doing it? That's not repentance. That's a weak apology. Hear me, repentance is not coming to God and saying, yeah, I know I'm messing up on that one. But then knowing you're going to do it tomorrow. Repentance is God convicting your heart and saying, okay, I've been going this direction with this alcoholism, this porn addiction, sleeping with someone I'm not married to, fill in the gap. Now I'm going to go this way. Because more than I want that thing, I want God in my life. And you don't get both. Because God does not compete for affection. And so we have to change aspects of our life. But I want to make sure you're getting this. Not so that you can be saved, but because you are. Now, if you don't know Jesus tonight and your life doesn't belong to God, this is all for naught. And I mean, like, hopefully you get something out of this. And until the moment happens, then like that. Like, until, and we'll pray tonight. So if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, this, then cling to it. Um, but if you're like at that point, you're like, no, nah, I think I'm a bail. You know what I mean? Like, it, this won't make as much sense to you. But I am talking to believers tonight to tell you that it does not cost you anything to be saved other than repenting, believing, and laying down your life. But it's going to cost you everything to be free. Because the problem is, it is the things in our life that hold on to us that keep us shameful, sinful, and completely bound into this as being a slave to the enemy. And God wants to set us free, but before he can set us free, he has to turn us away. The problem is we love our sin. Don't we? Only seven of us. The rest of you lying. All right. So like we love our sin, don't we? The problem, and, and God is calling us away from that. So repentance is a necessary part of the believer's life. God says come as you are, but he does not say stay as you are. And I want you to grab a hold of that. God says come as you are. Listen, if you are here tonight and you are far from God, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the only thing you have to do to be saved, repent, turn away from your sin, and believe in Jesus Christ. That's all it is. Your faith in Jesus makes you say, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but hear me. For those of us that are in Christ Jesus, We come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. We're a house of grace here, which means you can come in however you want. And I think some of us push that limit a little bit. Like, don't look around the room right now. Okay, I'm talking about you. Okay, so look inwardly, not around. Okay, but I'm saying, like, some of us may push that limit a little bit to come as you are. But hear me, once Jesus begins the work, we don't stay. As we are, like a change needs to happen, all right? Uh, and so I want you to understand something. I want to give you some points. The Israelites weren't exempt. The first thing I want you to understand is the Israelites weren't exempt from the pain of the plagues. See, when we read this, we're like, man, the plagues kept against the Egyptians. Ha! You know something? It wasn't, they weren't exempt from all the plagues either. To get to their freedom means they had to experience some pain. And that's the part we don't like. Like, God, I want fullness, I want freedom, I want all of this. And then he starts to bring it, but because he's bringing it, we got to go through some stuff. And we're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. God, I thought you loved me. God's saying, 
just because you're going to be free doesn't mean you're exempt from the pain in the process of your freedom. And I want to I be abundantly clear tonight because I don't think we embrace suffering well enough in American Christianity. Our brothers and sisters overseas are losing their heads for their faith, and we won't lose air conditioning for ours. I'm meddling now. I need to calm down. But, but <laughs> I heard that pipeline student. So, uh, uh, but you guys get what I'm saying, right? Like, we have to understand that as in, in the church and in the Christian faith, we have got to deal with suffering better. Because it is through our suffering that God is identified as being worth more than the thing we would have given up in our suffering in. Now you may say, Brad, easy for you to say you don't know what I've been through. This is first Wednesday, so I think most of you know what I've been through. But to highlight the past couple years, I walked through five years of brain disease with my son, who then lost his life on May 18th, 2018. And it was in the midst of that suffering that God taught me what goodness felt like. I want you to hear that again. It was in my suffering that God showed me what goodness looked like. Because Christians aren't exempt from pain. As a matter of fact, how you navigate your pain is the declaration of the confidence of your faith. And so I want to encourage you, get comfortable with your pain. Because pain is part of the process. All right? Let's keep going. I'm going to let you know right now, that clock don't mean nothing to me back there. So I just, I'm I'm just being honest with you, okay? I am watching this one, though, if that makes you feel better. Okay, good. Kyle's doing his job. I'm kind of messing up on mine. Anyway, so uh, let's keep going. Because just like the Israelites in Egypt... Your freedom requires your fleeing. Let me say it again. Your freedom requires your fleeing. Hear me. Repentance is necessary because you will never be free while you tolerate your captivity. You'll never be free while you tolerate your captivity. The thing that owns you, as long as you accept it and sit there with it, you'll never be free from it. As long as you don't start putting some guardrails and some safety protocols on your cell phone, you will remain addicted to pornography. Until you change your friend circle that keep convincing you to get high, you won't stop doing it. Hear me. You're going to have to flee if it's going to change. And so repentance is necessary because you will never get free until you, uh, you will never be free as long as you tolerate the thing that's holding you captive. So we have to stop tolerating. But you have to see that your captivity is something to be freed from. So just because you're being provided with what you need to keep going, because sin does that, just because you're comfortable in your sin, because sin does that, just because you like your sin, because sin feels good at the time, just because you love all of those things does not mean that it's okay for you. And for the record, for me either. Okay, so this is a us thing, not a you thing. Like, we don't get to fall in love with our sin. I know it feels good in the moment. It's designed that way by the enemy to keep you there so that you never experience true freedom in Jesus Christ. And so God wants us to see that we have to let go. And so we have to see that you'll never be free tolerating your captivity. But hear me, you'll never be free if you're excusing it either. Well, it's not that bad. Because I got some friends that are way worse than me. 
How many of y'all got some friends that are worse than you? Don't raise your hand. See, look, y'all terrible. Y'all bad people, man. Listen, when God looks at our sin, he doesn't see degrees of it. He sees people that do it. And he paid a price for it so that you can be free from it. So be free from it. But you'll never be free from it if you tolerate it or excuse it. Some of you are like, man, I'm not coming to a first Wednesday ever again. <laughs> Romans 6, let's go there, guys. I heard that again. Romans 6, 15 is where we're picking up. This is Paul talking, and he says this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? I hear that every time someone comes to my office that's dealing with something. Pastor, we're under grace now. Like, well, let's open this book, shall we? By no means. In other words, Paul said, nah, fam. For some of y'all, they needed it. y'all needed cryptic. Okay, y'all need it. Okay. Are we, should we be able to sin because we're under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your nat uh, natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed. In other words, what good was it for you? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin. How many of you got fall into that camp? Raise your hand. Praise God. Set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, as long as you tolerate it, you'll never be free from it. But Paul is telling us in Romans 6, be free from it. Because the wages of your sin is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we go back. The same way the Israelites had to choose freedom, we have to choose freedom. Next, when it got hard, I love how Israel romanticized their captivity. So to catch you up from a scripture in Exodus that we didn't highlight, when they were in the desert and they didn't have any food, guess what they did? I sure wish we were back in Egypt where we had pots of meat. No, you had whips and bricks. But we romanticize the evil parts of our life, the wicked parts of life, the sin-filled parts of our life. We romanticize our sinful parts because we don't want to look towards the necessity of the righteous parts. Well, I sure wish I was. I remember when I was back then. Boy, that was a good time. I, man, I, I think I would like to go back to that again because this is just too hard. 
So when it got hard, the Israelites romanticized their captivity. Hear me, don't let your struggle in your current state cause you to think that the solution is to go back to your previous state. The previous is never to go back, or the, the, the solution is never to go back. The solution is always to go forward. And so the solution to your captivity of sin is complete freedom, not complete comfort. I'm going to say that again. The solution to your captivity of sin is not complete freedom, or is complete freedom, not complete comfort. You see, with God in our life, we're looking for comfortability, not freedom. We're looking for things to be easy, not free. We're looking for things to be comfortable. We're, we're looking things for th- to be cuddling. We're looking for things to be okay. I had someone come to me the other day, and they said, Pastor, I don't like when you tell me the truth. And I said, sir, I don't know what you thought my job was. And, and he, we were having a conversation. He said, it, it's just hard because sometimes I feel like you don't love me because you're always coming down on me. I said, no, first of all, that ain't true. I see you do stupid stuff all the time. I want to call you out part of the time. Okay, so, and secondly, <laughs> and secondly, I said, what is love? That's what I asked him. I said, what is love? He said, what do you mean? I said, here's what I, I said, here's what I, I want you to understand this. I said, if I said, if you were having to get to New Orleans for an emergency surgery and you only had X amount of time to get there and if you didn't get there on time, you were going to die. And you were telling me this. And I said, oh, no, that's terrible. And you were, yeah, so I'm leaving right now. And you showed me your GPS and you were headed towards Jacksonville. Is love saying, boy, I really hope you get there. Holler at me if you do. Or is love saying, I know you're invested in this direction, but to get where you're trying to go, you're going to have to go this direction. But I've already started on this direction. Brad, you don't understand. I'm like, I hear you. But if you're going to get over here, you're going to have to turn around. Yeah, but that means I'm going to have to get off on an off-ramp, and I'm going to have to go, and then I'm going to turn around, and then i got to pass the McDonald's. You know I can't do that without stopping to get food. I mean, I, I, so what do I do? Yeah, I, no, I hear you. I hear you. I know it's going to be hard, and it's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to be difficult, and it's not going to be comfortable. But if you're going to get there, you're going to have to turn around and go a different direction. And for many people, they think love is going, no, 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 you just go whatever direction you want to. God's got you. No, no, no. I'm here to tell you that real love is saying, hey, Christian. If you're going to be the believer that God is calling you to, at some point you got to stop going this way and you got to start going this way. They say, that doesn't sound like grace to me. I'm like, grace wasn't correcting you. Grace was saying, I'm here for you. Truth was correcting you. And we serve a God of both. When the woman came to Jesus and they said, we called her in adultery, and Jesus chased off all the Pharisees because we didn't got time for that. And he said, who's here to condemn you? And she says, no one. And he says, good, neither do I condemn you. That's what grace is. Now go and sin no more. That's what truth is. And in the church, we've fallen in love with grace, but we've neglected truth. And you need someone in your life saying, hey, bro, get it together. Hey, you don't need that in your life. Not so that you can be saved but because you are. 
Again, we're not talking about earning our place in God's kingdom. We're talking about stepping into freedom because we're already in God's kingdom. Let's keep going. Your freedom will come at the cost of your comfort. I'm going to say it again. Your freedom will come at the cost of your comfort. One more time for those in the back. Your freedom will come at the cost of your comfort. Repentance is necessary because, this next point, you're going to have to replace what you've grown comfortable in with what you're going after. You're going to have to replace what you've grown comfortable in with what you're going after. In this case, righteousness and peace in Jesus Christ. Many of you are having trouble sleeping at night, not because your bed is jacked up. It's because God is convicting you of sin all the time and you can't rest. Stop trying to look at new mattresses and start looking at righteousness. I know none of y'all coming back next month. We're just going to sit in this middle section next month. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says then, you don't have to turn there, just listen. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny your lustful urges, deny your addiction, deny your alcoholism, deny your desire to look at everything else or pursue everything else or declare, you know, pursue all the things of unrighteousness, pursue the things of your sinful nature, pursue the things that you're a slave to, deny that. Take up your cross, which is what you're going to have to die to, and follow me. Listen, if an eternity with Jesus costs Jesus everything, you better bet your life it's going to cost you something. And so he says, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life and all the things about life and all the things you love in life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake will save it or find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Lastly, they weren't going to have to choose freedom once. They were going to have to choose it continually. When the Israelites are in the desert, as soon as they get free, we don't have a map. What do we do? Let's just go back. No, no, no. Choose it continually. Okay, God, we're going to follow you. He takes us to the Red Sea. Oh, no. Let's just go back. No, no, no. He'll make a way, but you got to choose it continually. You go through the Red Sea. We don't have any food. Let's just go back. No, no, no. Choose it again. We don't have any water. Choose it again. We don't know what to do. Choose it again. Moses is taking too long. Choose it again. What we have to realize is repentance is necessary. Replacement. So we got to replace the things of, that our hearts desire in this world, and we got to replace it with God himself. But then there's repetition. Well, guess what? If you killed it today, how many of y'all have killed it before? Like you just knew, like at the end of the day, you're like, I did everything God needed me to do today, and it was an awesome day. Where y'all at? Anybody? Just, you know, it's okay. You can raise your hand. Like I felt good about today. Some of y'all got baptized Sunday. Y'all didn't feel good about it? Like, okay, all right. So, all right, now we go. Like how many of you have ever laid your head down at night and been like, man, me and God are boys today. Like we did it. <laughs> right? Guess what? You got to do it again tomorrow. Because there's going to be something that's going to show up tomorrow that's going to make you be like, I don't know, man. It's day 40 and Moses is still up there. You're going to have to choose it again. You can go ahead and noodle, Adam. That's fine. I'm, I'm, you ain't tripping. Noodle. 
Let him, let him noodle, Kyle. Okay, good. There it is. Beautiful. God brought them out from under Pharaoh, away from the Philistines, and in front of the Red Sea. If they have come to me, they're going to have to leave the path behind. Repentance is necessary, and I want you to understand that repentance isn't a one-time event. It's a daily repetition. Because when that person cuts me off in traffic, boy, I am hot. Or when they just can't drive altogether. We got plenty of that. Okay, then it's, an, it's on an increase right now. I don't know what's going on. When I lose my temper because I didn't get in my way. When I fail to love my wife properly because she's the gift that God has given me and has entrusted me to lead her. When things of this world don't go according to my plan and I begin to doubt God. Every one of those moments require me to take a deep reflection of my nature and my core and go, that ain't God. That's a lot of me. I hope you hear my heart tonight. When you experience things on social media, and I'm not trying to be funny, I'm speaking to some of you that are experiencing some deep hurt right now. And even what we would possibly consider righteous anger stirs up in your spirit. And it leads you to actions that do not represent godliness. I need you to look inside of yourself and say, that's a lot of me, not a lot of God. I got five pages of notes and I'm on three and we just got to hurry. Okay, so... I don't think we're going to finish this the way it was written, but it is what it is. Can y'all give me a few more minutes? Like 35? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, somebody was like, get your purse, honey. We're not doing this. Okay, so uh, 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 it won't be that long, I promise. But I want you to hear this. Fighting to be free is one thing. Fighting to stay free is another. Your freedom in Christ alone is an amazing gift of the consequences of the sin that is in our lives, mine, yours, ours. But the freedom that comes each day of the shame of that sin is something you're going to have to choose continually. And for some of you, my prayer tonight is that when you leave, you leave saying, God, I'm going to do everything on my end for freedom. I'm turning away from those things in my life, whatever they are for you. You know what they are and God knows what they are and it's none of my business. I would say you need someone in your life that knows your secrets. Pastor Aaron James says you need to have some people in your life that know enough about you that could destroy you if they wanted to but love you so much that they won't. I believe that's true. But you're going to have to choose it over and over. Don't let the fight cause you to believe you've been forsaken. Because you're going through it doesn't mean God didn't bring you to it. Sometimes it takes a fight to make sure we remember how God got us here. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Don't, you don't have to turn there. You can write it down. You can read it later. 
So to keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul talking, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God had given him, like Paul was the dude. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about it, that he should take it from me. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Hear me, God's power is made perfect in the moments where you can't keep going. God's power is made perfect in the weak areas of your life. When you say, God, I don't think I can do this, God's saying perfect so that when I help you through it, you'll know it was me that got you through it. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. I want you to see what Paul said right there. Grab a hold of this. I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with struggles, with pain, with suffering. I'm content with it. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, it is your weakness that opens the door for God's strength to show up in your life. Embrace your suffering. Embrace your pain. Embrace your hardships. Embrace conflict. Embrace the aspects of your life that are showing you that you ain't got it all together. Just embrace those things because that's when God is showing up in your life. And when you come through them, you'll know it was Him that carried you every step of the way. So why is this so hard? I'm going to give you this and I'm going to end. Why is this so hard? Look at your neighbor and say, why is this so hard? How many of y'all know repentance is hard? Six of us. Liars. How many of y'all know repentance? This side of the room. How many of y'all know repentance is hard? This part of the room. How many of y'all know repentance is hard? Amen. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So y'all got to get it together. I don't know. Y'all talk later and then we can compete. Okay. So, but repentance is hard. Replacing the areas of our life that God needs to take over is hard. And choosing it every day is hard. But why is it so hard? Uh, Genesis 3, 5. We're going to the garden here where Adam and Eve are there and the snake shows up, the serpent, Satan. And this is how the serpent got Eve to sin. I want you to hear this. This was the way that he got her to sin. For God knows, in other words, he was saying, she's saying we can't because God said, he said, no, no, you can. Because God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And here's the part I want you to get. And you will be like God. The constant desire from Genesis 3 verse 5 to this very day until the end of time is the struggle for us to not try to be like God. We want to be the God of our lives. We want things in our life to be as good as God. We want our career. We want our marriage. We want our family. We want our sin. We want all these things more than 
We want God. God, I worship you. God, I believe in you. God, I know you're real. But I still want to keep this addiction problem. I still want to keep this anger. I still want to keep this sexual desire. I still want to allow these things that you're opposed to to be in my life. I still want to worship something instead of or in addition to you because by yourself, you're not enough for me. From Genesis 3 to today, that is the struggle. But I want you to hear this tonight, and and I'm going to wrap up with this in one scripture. God's ultimate desire and plan for your life is not your happiness. Lean in. We're almost done. God's ultimate desire and plan for your life is not your happiness. It's your holiness. God's ultimate and desire and plan for your life is not that you would be happy as he is happy. It's that you would be holy as he is holy. It's that you would live a life through the power of the gospel that saves you and through the Holy Spirit that sanctifies you and keeps you to live a life of holiness that doesn't look like the world. It doesn't stumble in the way that they do. And when you do, you lean into grace not to abuse it, but to receive it. Ephesians 2, and then we'll wrap up. We'll be done. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. At work, uh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all in the same boat. But God being rich in mercy, say mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, say love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive, stay alive, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not your own doing. Say, thank God for that, because we'd all screwed it up already. Not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us. Moses led the people of Israel out of captivity and into freedom. But as we end tonight, I want to show you why Moses is not the hero, but Jesus is. Because Jesus is the better Moses. Say Jesus is the better Moses. Moses left his comfort of home to free his people. 
Jesus left the riches of heaven so that you and I might become rich, according to 2 Corinthians 8. God used Moses to perform miracles so that his people would glorify him. Jesus performed miracles, including the greatest miracle, which is the gospel, so that people would glorify him. This is in all the gospels, especially in the gospel of Mark, where the most miracles are recorded. God used Moses as a mouthpiece for himself. God sent Jesus, who was the word, and the word became flesh in John 1, 1 and 14. Moses, proximity to God, created a manifestation of glory, but Jesus was the manifestation of glory in 1 Timothy 3. Moses was sent to remove his people from the captivity of an evil ruler. Jesus was sent so that we could be released from the captivity as slaves to the evil ruler of sin and Satan in our lives, according to Romans 6. And through Moses, God's people experienced supernatural provision. And God has provided a way of supernatural provision for every single one of us to not have to experience an eternity of sin and death and shame, but that through Christ Jesus, we could have an eternity of life and power and joy and peace and hope and righteousness. But hear me, you're going to have that promise for those who are in Christ Jesus. But while you're still here, we've got a job to do. And as long as we're struggling with what's in us and not turning it over to the king, we'll never help other people get there. Church, we've got work to do. My encouragement to you tonight, look to God. Repent of everything in your life that you know stands against his word. Replace everything in your heart that you've allowed to be the center of your worship instead of God. And repeat every day the choice that, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm giving you everything. True freedom is found in your repentance, in your replacement, and your repetition. Stand with us tonight. I felt that God put it on my heart earlier this week when I was praying over tonight and getting ready for tonight that some of you, tonight is going to be a turning point for the rest of your life. Repentance, replacement, and repetition is going to start for you tonight. And so I want you to close your eyes across this place. You know what it is. You know what it is. What is it that you need to turn over to God tonight and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I repent. I'm going a different way. In your own words, I want you tonight to surrender that thing. God, I'm giving you this. An addiction, struggle. Whatever it is, I want you right now, go ahead and give it to him. Sit in the space for a second. God is here. And he'll take it from you if you'll release it to him. So God, we turn over every part of our life that stands between us and freedom. In Jesus' name, we give it to you. We repent. We're going to replace. And we will repent every day 
to choose you more than the things that we've chosen in the past. We give it to you, God. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you're like, Brad, what you talked about tonight sounds great, but I have not taken the first step of salvation. I don't know God. I know about God, but I don't know him. My life doesn't belong to him. I'm gonna invite you and the rest of the church to repeat this prayer with me. And if you believe it in your heart, you are saved, not because of the prayer, but because of your faith. So church, let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me pure. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid for me. So I give you my life. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. TC, let's give it up for all those whoever might have prayed tonight. We celebrate with you. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you did pray that prayer, grab the Connect card in one of the seat backs in front of you. If you don't mind, fill it out. We want to help you on this journey, but we can only do that if we know who you are. You can take it by the Connect Center in, uh, in the lobby. Our team that would love to meet you and just get to know your name and take that card from you. and We'll help you on the journey. How many of you guys are grateful for Jesus? How many guys are leaving encouraged tonight? Okay, good, 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 good. Love you guys. Let's pray one more time and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for tonight. We thank you for what you're doing. God, continue to convict us. Show us how we can be more like you because it's not about happiness. It's about holiness. But God, as we pursue holiness, we'll find true joy, which leads to happiness. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for letting me go late tonight. We'll see you all on Sunday.